This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology. We retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, the culture, and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Oldahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 163 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folktale, we have a legend that I've been searching for probably since we started this podcast. We have a legend of High Brazil, the mythical island off the west coast of Ireland. But first, a very big welcome to any listeners. If you're a new listener, this is actually a good one to listen to straight away. If you like this, why don't you head right back to the very beginning, 162 episodes ago, and see what we've been building up to over the journey of Fireside thus far. And if you are a continued listener, as always, thank you so, so much for your continued support. Um, if you have not done so already, please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard or uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com if you have any questions, queries, thoughts, comments, critiques, or if you just want to say hello and reach out. Those are the best places to get in touch. And if you want to support this podcast, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com where you can join Headstuff Plus, where for as little as five euro a month, only you can pay more if you want. You gain access to not just bonus material for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there are more of them all of the time. And you also get to throw me a few quid to keep this podcast afloat. Um, and... You can also buy my book, Fire uh, Garden Sea, my book of poetry about the hist- history, mythology, and religion of Ireland, uh, and how my own experience of that have informed my opinion of it. Uh, all of that stuff, you can get that in paperback on headstuff.org, or you can order it from Kindle on uh, Amazon. The links are all in the description below. Uh, if you want it on paperback, we can deliver it anywhere around the world. Do not worry about that. No hard sells on those, but those are there if you want to support in any way. Uh, but of course, your support of listening. If you want to do another those, why don't you just give a shout out to Vireside and get someone else listening as well. All of those stuff really help. We actually, um, a couple of weeks ago, I didn't announce this, we crossed over 400,000 uh, downloads, which is great. Uh, it's another little mini milestone. This is ultimately a very, very small podcast that still is mostly a labor of love for me each and every week, of which I'm still so, so grateful to get to constantly be adapting and writing. Um, it has 
it has allowed me to do so many other things and it has been such a continuity to my life, especially in the last couple of years when there have been so many highs and many, many, many lows um, as we are all, as as people getting through all of this absolute shitstorm that we have all experienced. Um, but even with all that said, even as small as podcast as this is, 400,000 people to have listened to it or for however many people to have listened to it overall 400,000 times is no is not is not nothing either and every time i see a cross another little mini milestone like that um it it does stir me on it bolsters me to keep going so thank you thank you thank you so so much um when this episode comes out it'll be i'll be in my last week in dubai playing uh playing Irish music at the World Expo over here at the Irish Village before I head back to Ireland very, very briefly to go straight into an intensive rehearsal period for the world of musicals before heading off on a six-month tour of Australia. So that's where I'll be hitting the road to next. It's a tour that I've been waiting three years to do. Um, it has been cancelled. It was postponed twice, and then we went on the road last year for two months, and then it was cancelled or postponed again. So we're hoping to finally get to do it, get back to work, and just get it done, get it purged from my life. Uh, but I'm looking forward to returning to Australia again and seeing the places I've seen before again and seeing a lot of new new places and meeting new people along the way very very much looking forward to that and grateful to be hopefully finally getting back on the road again but the story for this week is yes since even before I started Fireside in in the days where I was first really educating and re-educating myself to Irish folklore and mythology with an aim to do this podcast. High Brazil has always been in the back of my mind as something I wanted to do a story about. It's a phrase I first knew from a band that was in Wicklow when I was growing up in my hometown called High Brazil. That was the first time I knew the word um, led by a Wicklow musician named Spud Murphy who actually I recorded my Irish album with. Um, he's a great lad, great musician, and yeah, that always I always had High Brazil in my in my mind from that. And over the years, I learned what it was that it was this mysterious mythical island. Uh, it was thought that maybe Saint Brendan the Navigator that that's what he was looking for was this legendary high island of High Brazil. But I hadn't encountered an actual story of it. It was more just a thing that was occasionally mentioned. And then out of nowhere, from the most unlikely of sources, um, I found this tale. <laughs> the source for this, um, I had just been doing a Google search for Irish sea tales because as we've been doing Grania Whale, I wanted to explore more stories of the sea and of rivers and lakes and wells and all things marine to... Uh, to really fill out the world of Grania Whale that we've been in. And because there are just often such wonderful tales, tales of the sea, and um, because the sea is still this last great unknown of the world, I think. I think that's why they're so interesting. And because sailors and pirates and maritimers have always been um, some of the more superstitious people and have had some of the more interesting and peculiar and curious customs and, and beliefs uh, so there's just a huge wealth there to draw on. But I hadn't been able to find a huge amount 
of Irish stuff, considering it's such a small island, um, and there are very few places in Ireland that don't have a coastline close by. It's that tiny an island. Um, shout out to the Midlands right there. Shout out to uh, shout out to Tipperary without their access to the sea. I highlight Tipperary because uh, one of my best friends, uh, when he was trying to explain to me that he couldn't swim, which as someone from Wicklow Town, where we essentially learn how to swim before we walk, uh, was baffling to me that not even in Pooh, he said, oh no, sure, Tip doesn't have a coastline. So shout out to Grode as well. We're going to get that tri- We're going to get that triathlon, Grode. We're going to get that triathlon. Um, so when I was looking up, and I eventually did find this, uh, this book on the folklore, this treasury of folklore on seas, rivers, um, that I drew the, the Celtic Atlantis, the story uh, from. Um, but mostly, as I said, it's mostly world mythologies and if i can find an even even if it's not totally tenuous link between that and irish or the celtic world in the way that norse mythology slots so very easily into celtic mythology with the presence of the vikings and the norse in ireland um but a lot of it was just that little bit too distant and it was too unknown to me that i wouldn't be able to do it justice yet but it has really opened my horizons again. It was great to, for example, read stories about Maui, the demigod and the trickster of Polynesian mythology, because as I am, I do say as well, I am an absolutely shameless uh, Disney fanatic, and Moana was one of the great uh, Disney movies to come along in the last 10 years. Um, and opened uh, a new avenue of folklore mythology for me. Because Maui is an example of something, and this this ties us right back into High Brazil. Maui is an example of a trickster god. And there are trickster gods in essentially every mythology. Um, I've recently discovered this book by this writer, Lewis Hyde, uh, entirely about trickster, trickster mythology and its influence on culture. Um, and like tracing different trickster gods uh, through to more rebellious artists like Picasso and Allen Ginsberg. Um, I'm really looking forward to starting reading that. I'm going to get that in, but I want it in paperback when I get back to Ireland. Um, but Ireland's answer to a trickster god, to my knowledge at least, is Manon and MacLear, is the god of the sea. Um, and we have had some tales of Manon, but he has, in general, remained more elusive and not as dominant. So when I say trickster god, I mean Maui, I mean Loki in Norse mythology. He's just known as Coyote in North American folklore. Um, Krishna, I believe, is the trickster god in uh, in Hindu mythology. And who I was introduced to through Neil Gaiman and through American Gods and its sequel or its spin-off sequel, Anansi, who is the trickster spider god of, um, is it West? Is it West African mythology? I apologize um, if that's not it. I'll look one up. Yes, it is. It's West African and Caribbean folklore. Um, and Anansi Boys particularly is one of the great, great Neil Gaiman novels, if anyone hasn't read it. Um, but they're always this, these very, very interesting characters because they're always very morally dubious. You know, usually they're usually they're ultimately benevolent, but often they have their own agendas, and there's just always this little bit of chaos and mischief, which we really adore in our characters. I was 
introduced to this Lewis Hyde book on trickster gods through listening to an interview with Chuck Palahniuk, the the writer of Fight Club, um, who based the character of Tyler Durden in Fight Club on trickster mythology. Um, And that was what introduced me to that to that book that I look forward to reading. Um, but getting back to Manonan, Manonan is our answer to a trickster god. And in this story, so I was looking for all these tales on mythology, on sea mythology, and I found just this little PDF of some school had had its very young students draw pictures and write little poems and little stories based around sea folklore and mythology, which is which is really lovely, uh, but naturally mostly uh, not useful for what I was looking for, which was like lists of Irish sea folktales and sea mythology. But at the end of it, uh, at the end, after having another couple of looks at this document, and just to give them the, the credit they deserve, uh, so it's the program's called Our Ocean, Marine Legends, Fairy Tales and Folklore in Ireland, Explorers Education Program, Arts and Poetry Project, by Cushla Dromgul Regan, the Camden Education Trust, and Dr. Noreen Burke Galway, Atlantiquaria. Uh, I can leave the link for it in the description below. Uh, it's just a really lovely thing to have a look at and a, a really lovely thing that they did. But they just have a couple of these tales at the end, just two of them. One of Kilstuffin, which I'll probably do an episode on as well. Um, and then I finally found, bam, the story of the legend of High Brazil. And this has already been a very, very long introduction, so I'll get down to the story now. We'll chat more afterwards, uh, but all of that will soon be very, very relevant as we now have the legend of High Brazil on Fireside. The Legend of High Brazil Long ago, when the Gaelic mortal folk first settled on the island of Era. Many of the gods of the Tua de Danan felt immensely threatened by their arrival. None more so than Mananon Maclear, the god of the sea. Mananon ruled over the other world, and his fear was that the mortals who had forced the gods into the other world would soon expand and ruin the paradise of the gods. But being a trickster god and a shapeshifter, Mananon Maclear had a plan. First, Mananon transformed himself into a mortal chieftain named Lord Orbson. He then went to the fort of the King of the West of Ireland and began to tell him a story. O oh, mighty King of the West of Era, I come to tell you about a legendary island that appears off the west coast but once every seven years. When it emerges from the horizon, it is an island of mist. But the closer it gets to the coastline, the more solid the form becomes, until it is a perfect, untouched island of incomparable beauty. But it will not stay solid for long, and after a few short hours, it will begin to recede back over the horizon and back into the mist. But king, if you were able to plant four spears on the four corners of this island before it turns to mist again, then the land would be yours. 
And the island is actually set to appear again next month. Now is the time to act. You would be the ruler of an island of endless bounty, where everything regrows overnight, every fruit ripens, every animal matures. You can hunt and roam and plant and sow indefinitely if you are the ruler of the legendary island of High Brazil. The King of the West did not need any further convincing. All of the lands of Connacht were searched for the four greatest runners in the province. First, there was Marcus, the light-footed and agile hunter and warrior. He had an obsessive passion for the hunt, and once he set his eyes on a mark, he did not rest until he had sent an arrow through its heart. Give him a spear, and he would reach the edge of High Brazil and plant it. Next was Sheila, the fastest woman in the West. She had a great love for animals and nature. She would constantly up her fitness by attempting to run with the deer and the elk and the wolves of the forest. The third was Makta, who was the bard, poet, and singer. He travelled so much by foot and had earned his reputation by running between the forts of Connacht faster than any other bard to begin his next performance. That was three runners, but who would be the fourth? They would need all four if they were to successfully seize High Brazil. The king's daughter, Galef, came to her father and said, Father, I am as fast or faster than the hunter, the sprinter, or the bard. Let me be your fourth runner. Let me win High Brazil for us. Galiv was known for her love and dedication to her family. But the king could not deny she was certainly the match of any of the rest of the three champions. With the four runners assembled, the day to seize High Brazil arrived. The king and his champions stood on the west coast of Era and looked out over the horizon. Slowly they began to see a great shadow emerge, wider and taller than any ship, darker than any storm cloud. The shadow continued to move towards the shore, and with each foot it became more and more corporeal. Soon the king could make out beaches, cliff edges, mountains, greenery. Once he was sure he saw creatures on the island, the king knew it was time. The crew sailed out on a small galley and got the four runners as close to the shore as possible. They would not have long, so they wasted no time. Marcus ran to the east, Sheila to the north, Makta to the south, and Galiv to the west. Marcus was the first to reach his mark, spear in hand. But then he spotted a red deer grazing in a clearing. Marcus had never seen a beast so large, so proud, so beautiful. So, of course, he had to hunt the deer down. Marcus took the spear he had been charged with planting on the east coast of High Brazil and launched it at the deer. The beast was quick, saw the spear, and easily dodged the attack. 
The deer then began to gallop away. Marcus had never seen a beast move so quickly. He became determined to catch the deer and gave pursuit, totally forgetting to plant his spear in the ground. The path to the north of High Brazil led Sheila, the second of the four champions, through a great forest. So tall, dense, and plentiful were the trees that no outside sound could be heard when you walked through the forest. This slowed Sheila right down to a crawl as she listened to the enchanting bird song and the rustle of the creatures on the ground. She got down on her knees to literally stop and smell the flowers. Sheila had known no food or perfume to smell as pure and overwhelming as the flowers of High Brazil. And neither her nor her spear made it any further. Makta ran to the south along the soft golden beaches. The feeling of the warm, soft ground beneath him and the sound of the soft ocean waves curling on the shore bolstering his sprint. But soon Makta could hear something over the sand in the wave. The sound of music, the like of which he knew upon a first hearing that he would never be able to create the equal of. He turned on the spot and ran towards the mountains where the sound of the music was emanating from, abandoning his post and abandoning his spear. But as for the king's daughter, Galiv appropriately ran to the west, and as she did, the princess began to see members of her family emerge from the trees all around her. But rather than distract her like it had the others, this gave her the energy to the point where Galev was using the spear as a walking stick by the time she reached the west coast of High Brazil. She stabbed the spear into the western tip of the island, and then, so overwhelmed with tiredness, Princess Galev fell asleep where she lay. Back at the galley, the king of the west began to notice that the island was beginning to get further away and was beginning to look a bit translucent. Soon it would not be safe for the runners to stand on. So the king sounded a thundering horn to let his champions know. One by one, the four runners snapped out of their hypnosis. Marcus realized he would not catch the deer. Sheila got up off the ground and stopped smelling the flowers, and Makta realized that the music must have been in his own head. They each returned and boarded the king's galley safely before High Brazil moved any further from Hera. But where was Galiv? The king tried to go to shore himself, but the island was moving too fast. It got further and further away until you could see right through the island to the Atlantic Ocean, and then until you could see nothing at all. Galiv never woke up, and she was never seen again, lost to High Brazil, lost to the Atlantic, a sacrifice taken by Mananin MacLear as a warning to the humans to remain in the mortal world and never try to dabble in magic. The King of the West of Ireland was devastated by the loss of his kind-hearted and familial daughter. In tribute, he named his lands after his daughter, Galif, and that 
is where the county of Galway gets its name. And that is a legend of High Brazil. The End. And there we have the legend of High Brazil on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, this, uh, so right at the gate, this is kind of an opposite tale of hubris, a reverse tale of hubris. There's a big thing in Greek mythology uh, where the heroes of Greek mythology show incredible capability um, and take on the gods and feel that they are the equal or superior to the gods and nearly always without fail they end up being their own downfall because of their arrogance and it is always a tale of hubris you get that a bit in irish mythology as well it's like a very common thing in storytelling but here we're gonna have the reverse of that and also somehow the exact same thing so i'll try and articulate that a bit more clearly so we have these four champions we have these three incredibly skilled, very capable warriors. We have the warrior, we have the, the, the nature lover, incredible sprinter, and we have this poet and storyteller. Um, all three of them have all of the sense, the foreboding of hubris in them, that they're champions in their field and they're picked for their skills and they go out to high Brazil and they are so easily enchanted by the lures and the mystery of the island and the almost siren-esque distractions that are very, very intentionally put there to distract them. They all fall prey to that and none of the three of them fulfill their task of planting a spear in their respective corners of the island. Galiv, on the other hand, who was always, who was always portrayed as this very kind-hearted and very devoted to her family who puts herself up for this position and is the equal a runner to any of the rest of them, she actually is able to avoid the distraction and the temptation of these images of her family, which presumably Mananen has sent to distract her. And she does plant that because of the others. She ends up drowning. She ends up being lost forever. So it is a tale of hubris, but it's reversed because... It's not, it's Golov who's punished. She is punished for the hubris of the other three heroes. I suppose ultimately it's the hubris of her father uh, because he was the one who wanted to claim this island of High Brazil. And ultimately, this has all been orchestrated in a very, very Greek mythological way by Manon and Maclear. He wanted to structure this cautionary tale to teach humanity a lesson to never... Uh, try to enter the other world by giving them just a little sample. High Brazil becomes just this little mini other world. It's like, see what happens when human beings try to seize High Brazil. Now imagine you actually were taking on the world of the gods. So it makes this whole, it has a lot of wonderful stock elements to a folktale where we have these, you know, we have the, the trickster god in disguise, we have the king, we have the four champions, and each displaying different attributes. And that's a lot of fun for me uh, adapting this. This was one of those, if anyone does look up the marine, um, that marine folktale PDF uh, that I found this story originally in, um, 
you'll see that I've expanded it a great deal. Not at all in plot points, but having these four champions and having these four distractions, each of these four things that attempt to distract and successfully distract three out of the four champions, this really allowed me to engage with the senses of Ibrazil and allow me to actually feel more so, at least like I was more there because it's just said that one is distracted by a deer, the other by nature, and the other by music. So I wanted to know, like, what would that hypnosis be? You know, what would it be if you heard the siren's call while you were at sea? And this is a very, very, this is also a very, very old tale. If a god is involved in it, uh, this is very, very, this is almost ancient. And I like that as well. That's what I've tried to find stories as well i wanted stories that definitely that probably existed in the oral tradition when grania whale was alive because this is a story this is galway and grania whale is just to the north in mayo this is almost certainly a tale that she would have known and galway the city of tribes was her great enemy or she was the enemy to the city of tribes and this is where this this place gets its name. So what I'm very interested in is if we have any Galway listeners to this podcast, is this common knowledge in Galway? Is it just because I'm from the East Coast uh, that this is not a tale I had heard before of where Galway gets its name from? It's almost because it almost it, it almost doesn't need that. It's just like a wonderful little side po- point to it or just like a final little sticking uh, to the story because ultimately the point is the the downfall of the king and him learning the lesson and Manonin winning by tricking him let's just have a little moment for Manonin as well as the very much the supporting character in this but this this great appearance at the beginning as this shapeshifter trickster and tying back into the interest in trickster mythology Manonin is very much the the villain of this piece um, but certainly I just really like him. You can understand his point of view because these mortals did come to Ireland and they did force the gods into the other world. They were on the land, they were in Era, they'd been ruling on Era. And when they went into the other world, Mananen then became the leader in the other world. There's no real case stories that I've encountered to my knowledge where Mananen is a king in to the Tua de Danon when they're on land, except, of course, by his own domain of the sea. But even then, uh, he is the son of Lear, who was the original sea god. And But here we have him as the ruler of the other world. I believe in Tirnanog, in stories of Tirnanog, he is, I think he's Aoife's um, father, or Neve's father, sorry, um, Oshin's love in The Legend of Tirnanog. Manonin is portrayed as the god of Tirnanog in that. But we get him in full trickster god mode here. And so he has been forced into the other world. And he does have to teach humanity a lesson. And this goes right through to folk, folklore, uh, to the more contemporary folklore, where it's the fairies messing with humanity. It's constantly this testing and this punishment of humanity uh, for this vengeance, this, this ongoing vengeance for having forced the gods into the other world in a way that, to be honest, I think is even more delicious than it is in, to bring back, again, Greek mythology, because it's one of the other world mythologies that I'd be a little bit more familiar with, where it's not humanity's fault 
in Greek mythology that the gods hate them. They were created, and it was Prometheus who gave them fire. And Pandora was created to, uh, to release all these troubles into the world. None of that is humanity's fault. And maybe, that's, uh, maybe that fits more in with the, with the very idea of humanity because there is so much, obviously, suffering and awful things in the world that isn't our fault. And that's what it is to be human, to have to navigate that constantly. Um, but in Irish mythology, it's kind of on us. They come, the mortals come to the Ireland and they do fight this war with the gods to this land that they feel is theirs by right. We have these, these Milesians who come uh, and try and take vengeance on the gods for having murdered a previous descendant. So it gets, it's all the more complex and complicated. And in a way, to me at least, it has, a, it has its own case for being more interesting um, and so but obviously there's so much more of Greek mythology that has survived than the little patchwork the little pieces of Irish mythology that we've had to put together but that is why we still that is why three years into Viraside we are still here we are still finding these stories and we will continue to do so into the future um, but with that I will wrap things up uh, and I hope you enjoyed this tale I really really did this was great Great fun to do. It was great find. Um, next week we will return to Gronwell. By next week, God, I will be back in Ireland, uh, which is insane. It feels like I've been out here for so long. Um, so I'll be back in Ireland. I'll probably be recording next week's episode while I'm still out in Dubai. Um, but all of that is by the by. Uh, please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Email me at thefiresidebard@gmail.com. Order my poetry book, Garden Sea. Um, our support Headstuff Plus, uh, plus at headstuffpodcast.com. All of the links are in the description below. And next week we'll have another tale of Grania Whale uh, as she continues her fight for survival in the dying world of Gaelic Ireland. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.